You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. Okay, welcome to Unscripted with Alex, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for coming on uh, and having a chat with me today about a pretty big topic, uh, infertility. Yes. So it's, let's say, when we're in high school, (laughs) we think that we're just going to get pregnant at the drop of a hat um, and probably don't really think too much about ever being infertile until maybe down the track when we start to try for a baby. So you're going to talk to us about your experience with fertility and Mm -hmm. your um, journey (laughs) with getting pregnant. Was infertility ever something you sort of thought about? No, (laughs) definitely not. I thought I would come off the pill and I'd get pregnant straight away. So really delayed coming off the pill because I 100% believed that was what would happen. I did know that it can take a while for the pill to leave your system and all of that, but I just didn't think that would be me. When I decide I want something, I make it happen. So <laughs> that's what I thought would happen. <laughs> Do you know what? Funny you say that. I'm exactly the same. So <laughs> when I decide I want something, I want it to happen straight yep. away as well. It's like, okay, I've decided, so it should just happen <laughs> yeah. now. And I think, as we will discuss later, once you step into um, or probably just from pregnancy, the whole mm. experience and then as a mum stepping into motherhood, there is no real <laughs> knowns. It's such an unknown. You've just got to wait and things will happen in their own time and it's so challenging yes. when things are just out of your control. Yes, and that is not my forte. I am definitely, I like to be in control. I'm definitely a control freak. Yeah. <laughs> As we'll probably discuss that probably in some way helped you maybe a little bit with yes. getting pregnant um, once you went down the route of sort of IVF. Had um, your family members or your mum or anyone ever had troubles with getting pregnant? No. So not directly in my family. My mum's brother, so my maternal uncle, him and his wife struggled to get pregnant, um, didn't end up going down IVF, but this was 20, 25 years ago. I don't know exactly what, but they did have intervention. So they've been good to talk to, but I don't know if it's contributed to our factors, but just a good support in they understand. And now as well, they understand, you know, when people are telling me, oh, you're so precious. They're like, of course you're precious. It took you a long time to get this baby. (laughs) So what do you mean people are saying you're precious in the way that you're mothering or? Yeah, yeah. So my auntie said people used to say, oh, you're so besotted with that baby. And she was like, of course. Uh, (laughs) And, yeah, yeah. I guess I am a bit in love (laughs) with my... Um, Hello, who is not in love (laughs) besotted with her own baby. Exactly. Well, people like to have opinions about all sorts of things. Definitely. You just need to somehow brush them off, I think. Yes. And so what was the early story... For you, so when you got married, and then um, no, we not got married. Didn't. Or, yep. We pretty much from the start we knew we wanted children. I think just I mean we weren't old when we got together, but just a little bit older. Both knew that's where our lives were heading. So it was basically if this isn't in your life plan, that's okay. But 
that's where my life setting. So it was basically date one. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Have the conversation. Yeah, yep. we spoke about kids. But um, I think we'd probably been together about two, two and a half years when we made the decision to come off the pill, thinking it would happen. I think I went off the pill in maybe April 2019. We went on a holiday in July 2019 and I 100% expected to come back pregnant from that holiday. I didn't. (laughs) So that's, I guess, yeah, we started. Anthony, my now husband, was probably more keen for me to go see the GP, but I kept saying, oh, it can take time. You know, the pill just has to get out of my system. I think deep down I knew, but I was just sort of putting it off. And so I think maybe nine months after we started trying, I went to the GP, told him we'd been trying for a year, the obligatory year. Oh, yeah. I heard this is a thing to say it's a year. Yeah, yep. He started doing blood tests. I was So I used to have a fear of needles and bloods, had to get over that pretty quickly. Um, was going weekly to have my hormones and things um, tracked, I guess. And I wasn't ovulating for about two months. I went weekly and had my bloods tested. Wow. Do you find yourself constantly reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol. So coming back from that first trip away Mm. and not being pregnant, what were you feeling at that time? Were you more just like shocked it didn't happen or were you feeling sort of sad about it or? Probably devastated. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And out of control, Mm. which, yeah, that was hard and scared. I was scared because I thought, why hasn't it happened? Yeah. Yeah. And so once those blood tests and things like that started happening with your your doctor, what was the discussion around trying, Um, like, what was the plan then? So my... GP back then, who's it was lovely and he's no longer my GP only because of everything that's happened. He's so lovely and he just kept telling me, We will get you a baby. So he sent us off to see a specialist in Bunbury. This is probably when my research started happening. So I started looking into options. Why wasn't I pregnant? What did those hormone levels mean? So basically discovered I wasn't ovulating. And so I summarised that I just needed to ovulate. And so I started researching ovulation induction. So I basically went to the first specialist with that plan in place. The first specialist I saw wanted to go straight down the IVF route, but I don't think that was based on any scientific reason. I think he, that it was easier. Okay. I um, just wanted to jump straight to that. Yeah. And I just wasn't ready for that yet. So we did explore ovulation induction for some time, which was probably one of the most devastating parts of the journey. Okay. Why is that? Because I took the medication and I ovulated. So the medication worked and I still didn't get pregnant. And so again, with that um, control and that um, research and everything, like, okay, I found the problem, it's ovulation yeah. and then that not working. Yeah. 
And so from the start where you were feeling devastated and then across these we're up to sort of we're nine to 12 months Great, around this yeah, point. Yeah, good 12 months. Baby. How is your mental health going across that time? I probably didn't realise it, but I was spiralling. Okay. And what did that look like in terms of was it more anxiety was growing or was it more depressive states? Um, Anxiety. Okay. So just clinging to anything I could control. Angry. I was very angry. My poor husband probably (laughs) suffered from that quite a bit because I didn't really know why I was angry. And so once that ovulation technique didn't work, what was like the next step there, because who had done, it sounds like most of the investigating was coming from yourself, Mm. who isn't really expected to (laughs) know what is going on. Because um, even if you sort of did when you're the person in in the middle of it all, it's really hard to take that outside Mm -hmm. look at the whole um, picture because you're right in the middle of it. And like you said, you're already spiralling. So things are maybe not as clear as previously, potentially. So how were they doing more investigating and do they look at then maybe your husband or? Yes. So I don't remember who it was originally, but we were told we were sent to get a sperm test, I guess, um, which he just did down here, took his little sample (laughs) into ClinniPath and that came back and they told us it was normal. It was okay. As in his count was good. His count was, he didn't have a huge count count, but he had a high concentration. So yes, there was a lot of sperm there. Um, and the motility, which is the movement was fine. Everything was looking okay. So we didn't really think about that again. And so how did you feel then? Cause were you like, okay, so it's me? Yeah, I guess. And you know, without meaning to, he was like, oh, phew, it's not me. <laughs> okay. He didn't mean anything by it. He was just scared himself, but definitely didn't help. (laughs) Well, I think that's probably quite normal for both genders would have a similar reaction, right? As a woman, we think we should be able to carry a child. We should be able to get pregnant. And as a man, you think you should be able to get women pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And so who was leading this next part of the sort of the, the plan then? Was this, did you continue with the same doctors or...? No. So I did have a bad experience with one specialist. So me being me, change specialists. <laughs> but I also decided to start seeing a naturopath who was amazing. And I definitely credit her for our infertility journey not being too long. I mean, it's been a long time, but in terms of infertility, it's been quite a quick journey. And I give her full credit because even though we didn't conceive naturally, she was the one that pushed for more testing and to look at the bigger picture. As in looking at it from a holistic point of view? Yeah. So basically she sent sent Anthony for a more in-depth sperm analysis, which came back and it was not okay. (laughs) So uh, what did the analysis come back showing then? So the biggest concern was the morphology, which is the shape of the sperm. Did not know any of this before, but basically the sperm has to be a perfect shape in order to penetrate the egg. And Anthony's 
shapes were all over the place. <laughs> so they couldn't penetrate my my eggs, which is why when I was ovulating, I still wasn't getting pregnant. Okay. So was that the main thing with his analysis or did it still show that the numbers were fine and the movement was fine? They were okay. okay. And it also showed that he had something called DNA fragmentation. Okay. So what's that? So basically once the sperm is produced, it sits in the scrotum okay. <laughs> um, and waits <laughs> waits there until it's used and in this time outside, so free radicals um, and outside things can cause damage and basically that was happening to Anthony's sperm. So I think what it does is increase the chance of miscarriage because even if it does penetrate, which it wasn't, that sperm is not really a healthy sperm and so it can't form a viable pregnancy. So this is looking at a lot of environmental factors where they say, yes. you know, with heating and um, especially like a lot of men who work in certain industries, if they have a lot of heavy metals um, or exposure to heavy metals and things like yes. that and toxins can really impact the health of their sperm. Yes. So in a way you're saying it's good that it wasn't able to get in at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yeah. So did the naturopath talk about doing any kind of detoxification system with him? Yeah. So we both went on a full on, um, I can't even remember when this was, but yeah, we both started just really revamping our lifestyle, just eating really healthily, making sure we were getting adequate sleep, um, alcohol. We cut out alcohol for a good three to six months or only drank in very limited um, quantities. That is a big one, actually, alcohol. And it's so ingrained in our society. I don't yeah. think we even realise just how much alcohol we drink. No. And, yeah, no. and so it's quite a challenge. For some people, we might be like, oh, three to six months. But when you come to doing it, I imagine it could be quite challenging. Very challenging, especially when you have events. We had my brother's engagement party and we both drank zero alcohol. He had... he got right into his zero beers and I think I had, I don't know what I had, but yeah, we didn't drink and um, yeah, we had quite a few events like that and they are challenging. Yeah. Um, but you get through. <laughs> yes, you do get through and you know what? It's only one event <laughs> yeah. and you can do it. We've got the rest of our lives to go to events yeah. and things like that. It's really funny the things that we look at, like get enough sleep and eat well and not drink alcohol. We think, oh, that seems so easy. Yeah. But we don't give ourselves enough time to do it all the time. No. And that's the thing as well. It wasn't a quick fix. We had to really commit to it for a serious amount of time. Sperm takes, I think, 45 days to produce. So basically you need to give that time to get out and then time to rebuild new sperm. Yeah. And so who is this a fabulous natural <laughs> This is Tess Stoic from Juno Wellness in Margaret River. And yeah, she, I just really liked her because she was really scientifically based as well. And um, I just felt like she was basically the one that said, I think you're going to have to go down the IVF ICSI route. And I just thought if a naturopath is saying this, it has to be true because obviously they always want to take the most natural approach. And I think a misconception actually around naturopaths and, and sort of even the work that I do as a holistic sort of health pharmacist is it's really about looking at an overview, like a whole picture integrative approach. And so yes. trying to fix lifestyle and diet and, um, you know, 
other natural realms, I suppose, that you can use, but also then when to know when medicine and traditional medicine needs to come in and how they can all work together instead of just honing in on one particular area. Um, So what is ICSI? (laughs) (laughs) So ICSI is basically IVF with an extra step. So basically when you go through IVF, you have to take a lot of drugs that stimulate your ovaries to produce multiple eggs. You go for daily bloods. Um, At one stage, you go for daily internal ultrasounds. Then they see, yep, your eggs are right. You have an egg collection. Great. You get however many eggs. And basically they put an egg in a Petri dish with some sperm and they do their thing and they meet and yeah, they make an embryo. That wasn't going to happen for us because of the morphology of Anthony's sperm. So with his sample, they take the sperm, they spin it, and they choose the best-looking sperm, basically. And one single sperm is injected into one single egg, and that is ICSI. So that's the extra step is spinning the sperm, picking the right one, and just one-to-one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's... I think like I was fascinated with the science of it. Like, I mean, these things are tiny and they were... Any in- chance they were able to take a photo of which one it was? We have a photo of the embryo. Oh, okay. How cool would that be? I know. But seeing, seeing, like, we always say, like, our first photo of Sunny is this tiny little dot. <laughs> it was amazing. That is so cool. Mm. And so did you still have to do the daily bloods and yeah. ultrasounds? Okay. Yeah. So where were you based to do all of this? Funny story. Um, me being type A personality. <laughs> once we finally got through everything, decided, you know, a specialist signed off, yes, you need IVF, send us to the IVF clinic. Again, I had my period when I when we first went to the IVF clinic, so I thought I'd walk out with some drugs and we'd start that day. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted Anthony. So we had been taking a lot of supplements and working on all of that, but he wanted him to take an extra supplement for 30 days to really repair some of that damage. CoQ10, if anybody. I was going to say, was it CoQ10 or assume he was already taking zinc? He, I don't know. We were taking a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Thousands of dollars of supplements. (laughs) And so was this quite a high, would you, do you know if it was a high dose of CoQ10? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So he took that for 30 days and then we had to wait again for the cycle to start. Um, My husband is a fisherman. So Easter is a very hectic time of year for us. I thought, hey, let's do Easter boxes this Easter. And we, with regulations with fishing and commercial fishing, um, we had to personally deliver them. That's the only way you can sell them. So we decided to make up these boxes. We were at the factory, at the processing factory, making them all until about midnight, the Thursday before Good Friday. And I got my period. And on day one of your cycle, you have to go for bloods. Oh, no. <laughs> Down here, there was no clinic open on Good Friday. So, <laughs> what did you do then? I had to go to Mandra and I had to leave my poor husband to sort out all the Easter boxes. <laughs> was it your idea? To yeah. Do that? <laughs> yeah. And he, he had told me, we can't do it, Alicia. We're too busy. We're not doing it. Um, he'd capped me at 50. I sold over 100. Yeah. 
Here. Like, good luck yeah. with boxing. <laughs> I'm just going to go do yeah. my bit now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we had been very open about our journey. All our family knew what was going on, good friends, and everybody stepped in to help him. Good. I was going to say, um, <laughs> but it would have been jumping ahead. With the with the fish and nausea, if, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you were boxing on like yeah, when you're pregnant, that, been good. yeah, that might not have been no. a good thing. Um, all right, so then you yes, got sorry. bloods done um, in Mandra, yes. and so then what did you have to go? Yeah, so that was just you confirm it's day one. Okay. Along for about two weeks, you're doing injections, having other bloods done at certain points, and then they get to the point like. Yes, you can take your trigger shot. So your hormone levels are all okay. You can take your trigger shot. And then from there, you go and have daily ultrasounds to check the size of the follicles and see how they're maturing. We decided we were very fortunate to be in a position that we could do that. I took the cycle off work. I didn't work. Anthony working for himself. We were able to go. We went to Perth for about two weeks. Oh, good. I mean, it's amazing and you can do it down here and they send all the results to Perth and the clinic gets back to you. But we always felt like there was a 24-hour delay. For me, that wasn't helping. So we decided to go to Perth and base ourselves in Perth for two weeks. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the whole IVF route uh, or any kind of assisted fertility is definitely a waiting game. Mm. How is your anxiety going at this point? Shocking. So this is when it probably really went into overdrive. The waiting, you know, the injections, it's not pleasant. Having internal ultrasounds, not pleasant. But they're just a step that you have to take. The waiting really messed with me. We went in and had our egg collection. Straight away, I found out we had five five eggs. So that's okay. (laughs) They fertilized them that day. And then they say, we will call you tomorrow with the results. We'll call you about lunchtime. They didn't call me till about six o'clock the next day. So we didn't know had any fertilized, had any, were any viable. You don't know anything about these eggs. So Anthony had to leave Perth. My mum had to come to Perth to pick me up, to drive me home because I wasn't allowed to drive. And yeah, it was a horrible drive. (laughs) <laughs> and so what were you doing? Just sitting and waiting and waiting yeah, and waiting. Basically. And you were, you were waiting for that call at by lunchtime. It didn't come. Didn't come. Yeah. So, so what are you what are you doing or like how are you processing your th- thoughts and feelings around this time? Are you, are you sort of getting panic attacks and things like that? Or not panic attacks, but probably just lashing out a lot at people that were trying to help. They were all amazing. But yeah, just I wasn't regulating my emotions very well. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a challenging thing to do when you are feeling that kind of internal emotion and it's so hard to explain or express what's going on to the people around you. But knowing that you have loved ones around you that they understand and they're just there to sort of support you and, um, and get through. Were you medicating at all? No. So I did not, I have never been medicated for my anxiety until postpartum. Okay. And did you ever find like exercise or breathing exercises or anything like that? I was doing everything. I was, you know, listening to podcasts, mostly related to infertility and then doing courses that they recommended and breathing exercise, meditation, yoga, walking on the beach every day. Yeah. Yep. Everything. 
Yeah. And I, I did, I have seen a psychologist and so they were helping as well. And so you sort of mentioned to me before the whole IVF thing, you really have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. I imagine that would be quite frustrating in itself when you're not getting the guidance that you mm-hmm. want or need and then in combination with feeling anxious about the whole thing, that couldn't be a very good combination. No, you kind of just feel like you're out there on your own. As supportive as my husband was, he didn't understand what I was going through. You feel like you know the answers and nobody's listening to you. I know at one point when we were doing ovulation induction, I we went back to the specialist and said, we've done it for three months, it didn't work. And she said, oh, we're going to do it for another six months. And I put my foot down. I said, no, we're not. These are the findings from my naturopath. And as soon as she read them, she said, oh, no, you're going to need assisted fertility. <laughs> yeah. My gosh. So if you don't sort of do that work yourself, you're going mm. to be just following their lead. And it's so funny, like when you said that, it's sort of the first thing every time, um, well, not every time, but often in the healthcare system where you're just being told what you're going to do. Yeah. And you're like, hang on, I'm like the main player in this yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. Game. Um, <laughs> I get to say what's sort of going on and what we're going to do, not that we're going to keep yeah. doing that. So it's good that you had those findings to show them. Yeah, definitely. And it was also the first time that I was like, why haven't you looked into him? Like, why has it taken my, why are we only focusing on the female here? It, it, it takes two. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's two people involved in this. So, yeah, I was, I was proud of myself for, because it would have just been a wasted six months. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Oh, lucky. So yeah. lucky that you had yeah. done that sort of um, that work and that investigation. Um, we will get to finding <laughs> out what happened that afternoon with that phone call. But just before we keep going, obviously fertility, like we've said, is not something that's talked about mm. much amongst people. Mm. Why do you think that is? Like, did you know anyone other than your auntie and uncle? Did you know any other friends that were kind of going through IVF? No, I really, I really didn't. But I just kind of made the decision to be open and honest about, I think not originally because it's kind of like, I think it's shame. You know, why is my body not doing what it's supposed to? So, yeah, I think that's what prevents people from talking about it. And you look at people and you're like, they're just getting pregnant. But what you don't know is they're not actually just getting pregnant. Because when I made the decision to start talking about it, There's so many of my friends that, you know, they might not have ended up down the IVF route, but they didn't just fall pregnant. They had to track ovulation or it took a few months or they were starting to question, like, why is this not happening? And so, and I think also you don't know everyone's story and we're so quick to judge and to, I mean, even from the outset, our story would have looked because we didn't get married like straight away. We got married in the midst of IVF. Um, <laughs> we started a business in the midst of IVF. And so our life looked, you know, we'd started a business, we got married, and then four months later we were pregnant. So from anybody else looking from the outside, it looked like we got married and got pregnant. Mm, so That's interesting. And for me too, I was looking at other people thinking that, but I didn't know their story. So I wonder why we have that shame, that feeling yeah. as like women that we're I don't not know. succeeding as a woman or something. Yeah. Whether it starts as early as 
like our childhood education around sex education? Yeah, I guess, because like you said at the start, you know, we spend so much time in our teenage, which, you know, is great, um, but we spend so much time trying not to get pregnant. We should be educating. Like, I didn't know any, I know so much now about um, women's cycles and things, and we should be educating ourselves or women and males about what it actually takes and what happens and each phase and all of that Mm. because, you know, it it actually, getting pregnant is actually not that easy. (laughs) But yes, exactly right. When you're younger, we want to sort of prevent it, but it's not easy. And I imagine if you asked most women Mm. what happens during ovulation and their cycle, it's so complex. I don't yeah. know many would understand the hormones no. that happen, the the rise and fall of different hormones yes. and what's really going on. And obviously it's not until you do start getting pregnant that you start really looking at the change in mucus and all of, mm. you know, body temperature changes and all of that sort of stuff. We're sort of like when we're in the teenage years, we think, oh, we'll just take the pill or some form of contraception. Yeah. And I don't think we eat, well, when I was younger, didn't really think about it. No. And I think maybe we're too young to kind of really comprehend what we're what we're doing or what we're taking. We're kind yeah. of like, oh, we'll just take the pill and we'll just prevent a you know yeah. pregnancy and I'll just control my period and skip my period. Yes. And um <laughs> yeah, and eventually I'll just come off that and And I'll get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we definitely don't fully understand that. And it, it would be interesting and in how conversations maybe will change with our children, maybe yeah. if we would, I, I have a boy, you've a boy. A boy. <laughs> so if we ever had girls, you know, what would that conversation be around contraception? Obviously yes. we'll have a different conversation with boys, but yes. yeah. Um, I totally yeah. agree because I, yeah, I know for myself, I would never, ever go back on any form of hormonal um, contraception. Yeah. I don't think I will either. Yeah. <laughs> I came off it a, a while ago once I really started. And even as a pharmacist, knowing what it's doing, but yeah. I still, it took me a while to eventually come off it. And um, there's a big thing now going around showing that there's a huge number of teenage girls who are not taking the pill anymore oh. uh, because of the side effects and things that it's doing to yeah. their body. I think it's just important for all of the girls to have a real informed choice around what yes. they're doing. And for some, it will be great. You know, there's some good benefits it has yeah. for certain conditions and certain people, you know, even with acne or PCOS or something like that, but really understanding yeah. what it is and what it's doing to your personal body and then um, moving forward. But anyway, we're kind of digressing yes. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to hear about this wedding amongst IVF. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, the phone call finally came. Phone call finally Six came. O'clock. So yes. what did they say to you? They said you had four mature eggs. So one egg wasn't mature enough, so they couldn't even attempt to fertilise that egg. And two had fertilised. And so what did you feel? Like, What does that mean? So me being the researcher, I had already done the research. And statistically, at every stage of IVF, you lose about 50% of eggs embryos, blastocysts, whatever stage they're at. Oh, so, so if you have four, you'll potentially lose two. Is that what you're saying? Yep, and which is basically what happened. So we had four eggs, two fertilised. Oh, and I was okay. like, okay, that's great. We only have two, which, you know, everybody says it only takes one and it does only take one for us. It only took one, but it was still that it, I was just scared. I just thought, oh, my God, are they going to make it? 
there's all different procedures and every clinic has their own um, method. My clinic, they do five days, so day five embryos, so they leave them for five days to develop. And my clinic has a policy where they don't check them. Some clinics will go in every day or every second day and open the fridge, have a look. My clinic doesn't open the fridge for five days. <gasps> yes. Oh, so you don't get to know how it's tracking or no, anything like that? No, And, you know, statistically I was thinking they won't make it or only one's going to make it. So then we had to go, we'd come home by this stage, we had to go back to Perth for a transfer we were driving to Perth for this transfer without even knowing if we had one. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So you just go up. So the morning of, they'll mm. check then and go. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're good to go. Yeah. Oh, my yes. God. The whole process is so um, nerve wracking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you were making your way up. What were you? What was the conversation in the car like? We didn't talk a lot. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah very strained. I do remember when we got, I think logically I knew like if there was none, they would have called by now. But still like in my state, I just couldn't comprehend that. My mum called at one stage when we were on the freeway to wish us luck. And I lost it at her because I thought it was a clinic calling to say that we had no embryos. (laughs) So yeah. And then we were in the waiting room you have to hold, you have to have a full bladder, you can't go to the toilet. They were running an hour behind and I thought, well, we have to have one because they're not going to make me go through this, surely. I'm busting. That's the worst feeling, isn't it, when you're so full and you're like, ooh, just... And then they want to push on you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, definitely. Okay, so you got in the clinic, you're busting. Finally, we got taken through. Um, Anthony had told me that he didn't want to be in there while the doctor was doing that. So oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, whatever, that's fine. So eventually you're going to see some baby yeah. coming out. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm, I'm used to it by now, so whatever. We got taken through and we thought we were going into like a little room to be told some information and I'd go through. No, he goes straight through into a laboratory, legs up. So he was there for it. <laughs> Which he was so thankful for in the end because we got, they sat us down and they told us that we had two beautiful embryos. Oh. Yeah. So that, I just started crying. Yeah. That was the best news I'd heard. Um, We got to see our beautiful little embryo up on a screen. Yeah. It was really special. And to have him there with you and that support through it. And he was so thankful that he was there after that. So what is that procedure like? So now they're going to inject the yeah, embryo. It's, it basically feels like a very uncomfortable um, pap smear. Okay. Yeah. So they go in through the vagina yeah. and into the uterus. uterus yeah. And then they just they Yeah. So um, I know some clinics will use embryo glue. Ours didn't. They use a microscope so they can see what they're doing. It's basically like a very long, we did get to see it. It was a very long syringe. Um, we watched the technicians suck the embryo up because they do it on a camera so they can see, because it's so tiny, they can't see what's happening either. So we watched them suck Sunny up. <laughs> she brought it around to the doctor who inserted it and then she gives the syringe back to the technician who goes back under the microscope, empties the syringe to make sure there's nothing left and uh-huh. that it has actually been injected. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's such a process. Yeah. And leading up to that, were you taking stuff to make the lining nice and juicy yes. and homely yep. for something? Yes. Progesterone suppositories. Yeah. <laughs> they <Okay>. were lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, well, yeah, because obviously that's that's the main one that makes them, your sort of uterus lining all yes. cushy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so that was done and then your um, – your journey from there starts. Yeah, yes. When do you find out if you're – so I suppose technically you're pregnant at that point um, or Yes, not. so a lot of people in the infertility world will say you're yeah, pregnant until proven otherwise. Okay. That Poo-poo. sounds like some criminal <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they send you on your way and you've got the dreaded two-week wait. Me again, I'd done all the research and I was following every single old wife tale out there. <laughs> so one popular one is that you have to eat McDonald's chips after a transfer. So we went straight to McDonald's and got chips. Um, That's not a bad one. No, I was quite happy to do that. <laughs> you know, there's things like wear warm socks. So I wore socks for two weeks straight, only ate warm foods. So I only ate warm foods for two weeks straight. I was drinking pomegranate juice every day. I was eating the core of a pineapple every day. I was eating three Brazil nuts a day. Wow. (laughs) So if we ever go again, I'm going to have to do all of that again because I don't know, was it actually science or was it all me? (laughs) They're quite specific things. Very specific. But I mean, obviously there's some... There's definitely some science to those things. I know like with the heating thing, is that more in the realm of like Chinese herbal medicine? Yes. Trying to keep the system warm. Yep. So warm feet, warm uterus. Yeah. Um, And then the pineapple thing would be to do with uh, inflammatory markers. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I'm I'm not sure about the rest. Yeah, I was going to say, the rest, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, pomegranate juice, what's that like? Nice. It's delicious. So I was quite happy to do that. And again, I was lucky. Um, I didn't work. So I took the time off and just, yeah, just really tried to relax and go for beach walks and meditate and, yeah, visualise. (laughs) Visualise baby growing. Yes. And then at two weeks you get another phone call. Well, I was I was naughty. I did. So they say not to do home pregnancy tests. Um, I think everyone does, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's so hard not to. I, I thought I was getting my period. I felt like I was getting my period. Um, I remember going for a walk with my mum one day and saying, it hasn't worked, I'm getting my period. That is so common. Yeah. It's just the implanting. Yeah. Yeah, yep, which didn't know. So then I did start doing pregnancy tests, but of course I couldn't believe them because I think one of the reasons they tell you not to do a home pregnancy test is that you've got so many drugs and hormones in your system. Some of them can actually show up on a pregnancy test and you're not pregnant. Mm. Um, So I can imagine that could be quite devastating. So I just kept thinking, oh no, it's just the, it's the trigger shot. Is still in my system. So then I'm Googling how long does it take for my trigger shot, whatever. I can't even remember what it was to get out of your system. I tested every day (laughs) and the line was getting darker and darker. So by the time that two weeks came around, I was fairly sure I was pregnant, but I just still couldn't believe it. They rang me. So you have to go have a blood test. They rang me the next day, of course. (laughs) Um, And said your levels are looking really good. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, you're pregnant. I was like, so I'm really pregnant? 
like really pregnant. They're like, you're really yeah, pregnant. Yeah, I really just need to hear those words. Yeah. 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 So the HCG yes. hormone is getting higher and higher, higher as the baby grows. Yes. Yeah, and that's why that line on your pregnancy test gets yes. darker and darker. I did the same. No, I didn't do IVF, <laughs> but I had the same um, thing with the the peeing on the stick. Is it getting darker? Yeah. I'll like, do it again. I'm like, oh, it's getting darker. I had one friend that I spoke to and I'd call her and be like, it's getting darker. I think it's real. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. Like it's actually happening. I, I kept on playing. <laughs> I have them in a box actually, and they have the dates and everything written on them. Oh, I think that's pretty common. And I'm pretty sure we still had mine until we moved house. I yeah. thought, oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> this out yeah, I don't know when I'll throw mine out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. And so then you're, you're okay, so now your pregnancy mm. experience starts. You're pregnant, obviously. Mm. And does the nausea hit? Not straight away just still couldn't believe it. You've got to go have bloods again a week later to see that those levels are rising. So I just kind of kept thinking, oh, at the next milestone, I'll believe it. You know, then you have your dating scan. And I just I just couldn't believe it at any of those um, milestones. You know, then we got to the 12-week scan, saw a baby, <laughs> heard its beautiful heartbeat. And I thought, oh, we'll, we'll announce it after this. And I just couldn't. I just... Weren't ready to share that. I was just so scared of something going wrong. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so many amazing groups out there and stuff that I was a part of. In the end, I had to, like, online forums and stuff, I had to remove myself from them because there's just so many tragic stories as well and so much heartbreak and loss for those poor women. And I, you know, there's women out there that have had three chemical pregnancies, two miscarriages and a stillborn or something. And I just, I was like, it can't be this easy. Yeah. I can't, yeah, something's going to go wrong. Nothing, until this point, nothing had worked and I was just convinced that something was going to go wrong. It is a very, um, it's a scary place and it's very easy to let your mind Mm. drift off into all these other things of like what ifs, Um, you know, especially when you want something so badly Mm. and you're like, well, what if this happened or what if that happened? And that those thoughts can and do stay in your mind forever. Forever. Once baby's born, yep. at the newborn stage, at the toddler stage, and imagine it would just keep going at every stage. You hear yep. your parents say, oh, you wait till they start driving. You're like, yeah, that constant worry yeah. will always be there and it's like how do you learn to control those thoughts so that yeah. you don't let them get away from you? My psychologist did say one very profound thing to me. She said, because I was like, she was like, you don't seem happy. I was like, I'm not happy. I thought I would be and I'm not. She said, why not? I said, well, because if something goes wrong, I'm going to be devastated. I just can't let myself enjoy it. And she said, but you will be devastated either way. So why not enjoy it now? And I was like, oh, you're right. That hurt is not going to be any more just because I've enjoyed it. That is so <laughs> true. Yeah. Isn't it? And that's that's really stuck with me, that one thing. And I thought, oh yeah. So that's from so true. From then on I think I was able to announce it and couldn't really enjoy it because I was very sick. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> oh. that was hard. But 
Yeah. <laughs> so let's go into that then. So you had hi- hyperemesis. Yes. Yeah, I always get it wrong. Say it. Hyperemesis. Gravidarum. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> HG. HG, yes. Okay. And when did that sort of kick in then? About seven weeks. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I was fortunate I wasn't actually throwing up a lot. I was just constantly nauseous um, to the point where I couldn't eat and drink. So I was in ED a lot, getting drips and... Really dehydrated. Really dehydrated. The energy that would Mm. zap out of you, not being able to move and function throughout the day because you're so nauseous. Yeah. And how long did that last? I think it cleared up about 24, 25 weeks. And then Sunny decided to flip and go breach at 29. And I was very uncomfortable (laughs) from then on. (laughs) Right. So one thing stopped and then... Mm. I got a good few weeks in there. I I felt good for a few weeks. That's good. So um, your, before we jump into the breach, your treatment for the nausea, were you on a medication? Yes. Yeah. I did fight it for a long time, but in the end I was on, on Dancertron. On Dancertron yeah. wafers. Yeah. yeah. And I just took them daily. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I think there's obviously different levels of nausea for all different women and you can start from doing, and I think even like when you're at the more severe cases, sometimes even taking ginger and mm, things might yeah. still help you at times. But ginger and your B6 are mm-hmm. the first levels and then you can go up to like your um, drowsy antihistamine, doxylamine, and then you've got yeah. metoclopramide and ondansetron as your prescription. And I was, I was taking the antihistamine at night as well yep. to help, but it just wasn't lasting through the day. So. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> and so then lovely Sunny flipped around. So yes. <laughs> that became comfortable where in your body? Um, so he was very... Lodged right up, not on either side, right in the middle of my ribs, under my rib cage. And he, I could feel his head. Yeah. (laughs) I'd go in for scans and they'd say, oh, maybe he's flinched. Maybe that's a bum. And I was like, no, that's definitely a head. (laughs) I can feel the kicks. (laughs) So that was quite uncomfortable. Oh, gosh. And so what did that mean then for your um, birth? So... My lovely doctor was very positive the whole way through, kept saying, we've got plenty of time. Of course, I started researching and I was researching from about 32, 33 weeks. If they're not head down, chances of them turning on their own, pretty slim. And they can. He could have turned at 39 weeks. Like, they can. It was just pretty slim. So I started doing everything. I was doing the spinning babies and walking, 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 walking. I was doing acupuncture, um, which I also did during IVF. Yeah. And he was just very comfortable. So basically it was just wait and see. Um, when we got to 37 weeks, I went for an ultrasound. He was still breech, which I could have told them. (laughs) And then it was discussing whether to perform a ECV where they manually try to rotate. Oh, that thing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I've seen that. It looks horrendous. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it I've does. watched it like once or twice. I was like, I don't think I should watch that Yes, anymore. I made the mistake of watching it too and it definitely put me off. So you said you weren't going to do it? They re- so they, they referred me to the specialists in Bunbury because it can't be performed in Bustleton because if, there is a slight chance that if anything goes wrong, they will have to perform an emergency C-section. So you'd have to be taken straight in. I wasn't ready to have my baby at 37 weeks. Um, and 
the specialists, they got, I mean, this play again, a benefit of everything we'd been through. They got all of my notes from my whole history and I have a slightly heart-shaped uterus. Yes. So the chances of him, of them being able to manoeuvre him were pretty slim. They did say, like, if you are passionate about this, we're happy to, we're happy to try. We don't think it's going to work. So we just... So what's like a heart-shaped uterus mean then? Does, is that like a potential reason why he became breech or just um, that it wasn't going to, he probably wasn't going to? Probably, so basically it's like a slight indent, like a septum indent um, and he was probably hitting that and not being able to get around. But by that stage of pregnancy it's hard for them to see that because the uterus is so enlarged and full of baby. It's quite hard for them to see that. But luckily I had scans from <laughs> before, so they were able to see it. And I, they just said, yeah, I just thought I don't want to put myself through that if it's not going to happen. Yeah. And we just decided, I mean, we'd done hypnobirthing courses and everything, and we just decided that was a form of intervention and basically we didn't want to start the cascade of intervention. We just thought let's wait and see if we didn't know he was a boy, if baby decides to turn it's meant to be. If not, we were very practical. We'd had lots of intervention already. We were quite comfortable with a C-section yeah. and to follow our doctor's advice. Yeah. And also you can still use all of those tools and techniques yes. from the hypnobirthing moving into your um, the C-section. Yeah. And so at 39 weeks, he still hadn't flipped. So mm-hmm. you were scheduled in to have the C-section. Yes, yes okay. we were. And that was done in Bunbury? Bustleton. Oh, Bustleton. Yes. Okay. By my beautiful doctor, which was, you know, for me a bonus because it meant I had her. You know, if you go into labour naturally, you have whoever's on the ward. And yeah, we did do, um, there's also a cesarean hypnobirthing course. So we did that and they were amazing. Our team were amazing. They honoured all of our wishes and I just had full trust and confidence in them. So we didn't get immediate skin to skin because he had a slight cough, but I trusted that they were making the best decisions at that time. And we, ha- I played hypno tracks while I was having the spinal block. We had our own playlist, like our wedding song came on. Like, yeah, it was beautiful. Oh, as beautiful as it could lovely. be. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were going in on that morning of, were you feeling like, nervous or excited or what was going on? Uh, just a combination of everything. It's such a weird feeling to go in knowing that you're going to have a baby by lunchtime. Like, And then that must be yeah. so weird. We took photos and we're like, oh, my God, this is our last photo. It was like just us. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And so you said then you had the, um, the tracks playing and your music yeah. and everything like that. What else did you have that helped you um, while you were in the theatre um, um, meeting Sunny? <laughs> so we had, so obviously Anthony was there. We were lucky because it was just as COVID was starting to break out. So okay. I was so worried about that. But, yep, so Anthony was there, Bustleton, small town. Anthony's cousin was one of the theatre doctors, <laughs> which we had already, we did know we'd spoken about it at Christmas and she did offer to change if we wanted, but we were okay with it. And to be honest, it was actually really nice to have that familiar, um, reassuring face. Oh, lovely. And she took photos, which was great. I knew about three other people in the theatre because it's Bustleton. <laughs> Small town, but it's such a nice thing. Well, actually, we're a city. I still think we're a town, but yeah. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And 
Anthony got to cut the cord. He stood up and saw them pull Sunny out. And I was convinced the whole pregnancy it was a boy. And he was like, oh, my God, it's a boy. I just said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. And yeah. so he got to go around? And, or he how just, did they do it? Um, so they, Peter Sadler, my amazing doctor, had talked me into dropping the sheet. And so they were going to do that, but he was in a very tricky position and it took um, a little bit to get him out. So they never dropped it. And we didn't really know why until afterwards she told us it was because he came out ball bag first. (laughs) So they knew straight away what he was and they knew we didn't know. So, yeah. Oh, well, you're going to find at some point. You might (laughs) as well see the ball bag coming out. (laughs) It's a (laughs) boy. So they didn't drop it and um, they took, he had a little cough, but she she was lovely. She explained all that to him. She said, okay, we're just going to take him straight over there. He's okay. I could see him the whole time and it was probably like a minute and then he was right there next to me. Lovely. Yeah. And did you do any of like vaginal seeding or anything like that? They don't offer it down there? No, they don't offer it. No. I think I'd heard that before. It'd be great when they do. Yeah, and it was just something that I sort of heard about later on and then it just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just one step. There's so many other ways that their microbiome's building and it's building over the first couple of years primarily. Yeah. Getting the bulk of it, so... Yeah. It would have been great to do it, but, but um, I just couldn't really fathom because they don't offer it how it would work. I was yeah. just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, how am I going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so Sunny's placed on your chest mm. and do you get to try and do like a first feed while you're laying there or um, what do they do while they're sort of stitching mm. you up? No, we just, the three of us sort of just had time together. Yeah, which was really beautiful. And then they wheel you into recovery. And I have to, my midwife was amazing. And the whole, I have never met more beautiful people than midwives. They are incredible. And it was so nice. Like I could really feel in the theatre that she was there advocating for me. Everybody else was like, you know, for the operation and the baby, but she was there for me. And I could really feel that, which was really beautiful. And so she knew we printed out our plan and everything. She knew all our wishes. So she was very hands-on on getting him onto my chest as soon as possible and stripping me down. So she was doing that as they were wheeling us away and um, in recovery he latched for his first feed. Oh, yeah. beautiful. And she was, like, pushing people away, making sure that was happening. And, oh, yeah. that's so good. You really need to have that person yeah. there to advocate for you. And <clears throat> exactly right, midwives are amazing. Yeah. And I suppose another option of having someone to advocate for you, some people use like a doula yes. if they're not sure if their midwife's going to be there or they might even use like a private midwife. Yes. Is that what you were using? No, no. I just think um, <laughs> we'd been in maternity a lot by that stage. I was there pretty much fortnightly <laughs> having myself checked and everything. Um, so I felt very comfortable. Like, we are so lucky down here. We have such a, an amazing hospital system and an, a great team and I felt really comfortable with all of the midwives. So Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. We we had an amazing experience. I couldn't fault it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. It's great to hear um this sort of positive birth story from a C section point yeah. of view. Because we don't um well I haven't had any guests on yet that have spoken about it and I know that there are lots of these amazing um, yeah. C section positive births and we need to hear more yeah positive births in different scenarios. So And you can make it so positive like yeah you know, 
of course I would have liked a vaginal birth, but this was still a beautiful experience and every all of our wishes were met. I, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I have a friend who has um, had a, oh, no, did she? She had a C-section for the first one. And I think, the, yeah, the second one she was trying to do a natural one and she was like, I wish I just went straight to the C-section <laughs> of the second one. And I was like, okay, well, you, you just never know no, what, what your birth is no. going to be like. So if you come out regardless and you're feeling yeah. pretty happy and positive about it, then yeah. that was the right birth for you. And I think there's <laughs> positives and negatives to it. We just sort of went into it with a positive mindset and this was the birth we were having and we were going to make the most of it. And so now you're stepping into motherhood. The next massive (laughs) challenge, that transition is probably the hardest transition Mm. from maiden to mother, I suppose that's what they say. How were you going those early days and like even just in the hospital for those first few days? I think in the hospital we were just in such a love bubble, Um, not just with Sunny but like with... Anthony as well. He was incredible. The midwife, so helpful. I was having some problems getting him to latch. So breastfeeding wasn't easy for me, but they were so supportive and helpful. He, yeah, was very unsettled. (laughs) We weren't getting a lot of sleep, but we probably got more in the hospital because of the midwives and things. And then going home, it was just like, oh shit. What have we done? Yeah. I know that feeling very well where, yeah, we we had a pretty unsettled baby too. And Mm. I think, which you're going to talk us through your breastfeeding Mm. experience as well. You know, when that doesn't come easily and when you've got an unsettled baby, you're a mum for the first time and you do have these thoughts of, oh, shit, what (laughs) have I done? Yeah. And I can't, you love the little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you're like, my life is changed and I can't undo this and I'm (laughs) so deep in this and it can just feel like this big dark cloud of you and you can feel so lonely at times. Even though you've got so many people around you. (laughs) Yes. But it's it's those times when it's like, you know, in the middle of the night and you're in dark. Oh, sometimes it's in the middle of the day. It's all light outside, but you're in, yep. in this dark room with white noise going and it's just you and baby and you can feel very alone. So for you, once you were home, was he still quite an unsettled baby? Yes. So he was just, he was waking up a lot and people kept telling me, yeah, he's a newborn or I kept saying, I'm not getting any sleep. And people were saying, you don't when you've got a baby. And I was like, no, I'm not getting any sleep. Like he was waking up every 45 minutes to an hour and he was feeding for a good 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So it was... Breastfeeding, bottle feeding at that point. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we struggled along with that for a while. I think, I don't even know when at all, but... In hindsight, he was getting enough milk over the course of the day because I was feeding him pretty much 24 hours of the day. He wasn't getting enough per feed, so it was so hard for him to get my milk out. He would fall asleep, but then he'd wake up hungry because he hadn't had enough. So then they found they determined I didn't have enough milk, So and I wasn't sleeping at night. I would just lie there watching him. I was so scared that something was going to happen to him. I just couldn't switch off my brain. And then 
they decided to put him on formula overnight so that he could, so I could have a bit of a break basically. So that was working. He was sleeping three to four hours in the stint, which was great. And I still wasn't sleeping. Um, So who's they? So the child health nurse, the doctors, the midwives, we'd been back to maternity. Everyone had sort of said like, we think this might be the way to go. Yeah. And Um, were you happy with that decision? Yeah. Okay, good. So yeah. it's your, you were included in this. Yes. Just yeah. Beautiful. Good, definitely. Good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I was definitely happy for that because I needed my baby to sleep. <laughs> Did they talk about metoclopramide for, uh, sorry, domperidone or something for? Yes. So yeah. they did because then what was happening was over the course of the day, I was then starting to pump and he was, the plan that, I don't know, we'd all come up with was that he'd have breast milk during the day, formula at night, and I wasn't quite getting enough breast milk to feed him over the day. Um, so we had explored options like that. By this stage, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I was not in a good place. So I was going to say, the, the, the treatment or the, the options now, it's really about looking after you as yeah. mum. Yeah. yeah. I it, mean, baby's getting fed either way. <laughs> exactly. But you're now in a not a good place. Yeah. Okay. Pretty so, much. So what are they talking about for you? Again, I really advocated for myself mm. because I went, my mother-in-law moved in with us <laughs> and she was doing the nights and that was great. I could sleep because I had full trust in her. So she would have him at night. But then I just felt like I wasn't looking after my baby. And that was really getting to me. It was really playing on my mind. I felt like he was so wanted, but I couldn't do it. It just started like a cascade of bad thoughts. I felt like nothing had been natural. I couldn't conceive naturally. I couldn't birth him naturally. I couldn't feed him naturally now. And now I can't look after my baby. And yeah, I was starting to question, like, should I be a mother or, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is tough. I mean, mum guilt is yeah hard, but I think the key in all of that is the thing that he is so wanted. Mm. And as long as your baby is wanted and loved, that's the most important yeah. thing. And getting love from multiple members of the family (laughs) is perfectly fine and you need to look after your own health as well. Do you feel at all like this or do you know where the fear came from around him being okay? Because I know that's such a common one, like we're so worried that, you know, Sid's Sid's and them dying in the cot at night. Where did that, do you think, came from? I think it was just the next step in my anxiety. So... Basically, my anxiety just grabs hold of an idea and then that is what I use to fuel myself and that's how I function. So, you know, it was first the anxiety about getting pregnant and then it was the anxiety of seeing this pregnancy through and then it was like, what else can I grab hold of? (laughs) And, yeah, I was just so scared that something would happen to him. So at what point did you sort of reach out for more help? I think it was around five to six weeks I went back and I said, I need something to help me sleep. I just, I'm I'm willing. I'd never been medicated until this point, but I was willing to be medicated so that I could look after my baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's such a good decision that you've come to because <laughs> yeah. it's sort of you've come to that decision. Yeah. And you've got a reason and a purpose and yeah. you're going for it. Yeah, it's nothing that's been forced onto you. No, and, it yeah. definitely wasn't. And I was very fortunate that every doctor that I saw was very supportive. Um, you know, they're... I, I think I saw one doctor that was trying to push breastfeeding onto me, but the rest were very, very supportive. And yeah, and I just needed to be okay in order to look after him, basically. And yeah. Did that help you get sleep then? <laughs> yes, it Beautiful. did. I started sleeping, which was great. Um, and he's actually now quite a good little sleeper. Um, yeah. How so. old is he now? Nearly eight months. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies, though, doesn't oh, it? Oh, <laughs> it does. I can't believe it. And did you go to any sort of support groups to reach out to Radiance or anything like that? Yes. So the first thing that I did was um, Mother Baby Nurture. Mm, I've heard of this thing. Oh, it is incredible. It was yeah. amazing. Um, probably even more so because it was COVID and everything was shut down. So like your normal mother's group or whatever, they had gone online and mother baby nurture still went ahead. And that was so amazing. And I just had the most incredible group. We're still, we still catch up every Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, and they, it was facilitated by the most beautiful child health nurses and that really helped with that connection because I think I'd spent so long thinking about getting pregnant. I hadn't really thought about what it meant to have a baby and then I just had this baby and I was like, oh, who are you? <laughs> so that really, that's all about building a connection with a baby and that really did help. So did you feel like you didn't have that connection, um, like you had sort of expected? I, I think, think we sort I'll, of expect that we're going to have this immediately. Yeah, and it, I think I just had felt so much in like survival mode that I, one day I looked at him and I was like, you're not even a newborn anymore. I missed that. I just missed that newborn stage. It had gone because I was just in flight or fight yeah. <laughs> basically. So. Yeah, I mean, that step into motherhood, like I said, is one of the hardest mm. transitions I think we ever make as a woman. Yeah. And it's not anything I – I just don't think you can prepare for it, to be honest. No, I totally agree. Like, I just don't think – it. People, tr people tell you things, but you – I think one, even like now, if I was trying to explain it to someone, you can't explain it. And two, the maiden can't hear it. They they don't know what it is you're trying to say. And it's just because, yeah, it's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. You have to experience it. Yeah. <laughs> and because everyone's experience is so completely different, mm. it's, again, really hard. Like some yeah. babies sleep really great. Some sleep shocking. Like mine. <laughs> Still sleep shocking. Well, don't worry. We have our ups and downs, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's just one thing that you have to experience. And I think things like the mother-baby nurture um, group and radiance mm. and having sort of that village community thing is so valuable. Yeah. And when you're in the midst of not sleeping, having, I was like, yeah, I had some friends that had been through it and saying like, this is where I'm at. Like I, you, you just need someone to be able to reach out to yeah. and just hold your hand sort of through and be like, there is light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. You've just got to keep going. And those groups I found, so I, I, do still attend Radiance. Yep. They're so great because I 
feel like sometimes you're like trying to talk to people and explain and everyone's jumping in with solutions and you just want to talk. (laughs) You're like, I know, I know he should be doing that. I know, but I just need to vent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You don't need solutions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've thought of that. (laughs) Um, And those groups like you know, there's no judgment and the whole idea is that everybody parents differently and everybody's way of parenting is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all of that oh, with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. It's just good to be able to share these sort of stories and hopefully help somebody else. Yeah. They go through or experience a similar thing and with the, the anxiety to know that they're not alone, mm. that we do lots of people experience these feelings. I think actually possibly every mother experiences these feelings, but in different intensities and knowing when to reach out for help and follow sort of your pathway wherever you go. But then with the IVF thing, I mean, that sounds like such a confusing (laughs) realm to be in. And so just having stories like this and um, different ways that um, people can navigate the system, I suppose. Do you have any socials that people can reach you on if they want to connect with you? Yes, they definitely can reach out. I'm always happy. I'm an open book and I'm always happy to talk about any of it. I don't even know my... Is it at Alicia... At Beauty by... Be- Beauty by Alicia. Beauty by Kate. Alicia Kate. Yes. yes. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so hard with the different like handles and things yeah. like that, but we'll make it very clear so um, people can Thank reach you. you. Thank you again for your time. It's been great. (laughs) And your vulnerability. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co. 